Grace Point. Cooler weather has prevailed. The apocalypse has passed. And if you're new to the Northwest, we have this weather year-round. Year-round. Anyways, it was, it's good that you're here on a, on a July 4th Sunday. I'm so glad that you have chosen to be here. I'm so glad that you've chosen to watch online. We're, t- we're in this series, part two, of preparing for Christ's return. So I have this question. You can think it to yourself. Are you prepared? Amen. Are you prepared for Christ's return? If you're not a believer, you're not prepared, and you've got some scary days ahead of you that we're going to talk about um, really, when we unpack the book of Revelation in September, we begin that middle of September. But I, I'm talking to Christians today that are you seriously prepared? And we're, we're going we're gonna to unpack that. Um, the, the First Thessalonians, we're going to walk through this book. And this, this little, little book was written to believers at Thessalonica. And they, they were panicked and anxious and afraid that they had missed the return of Christ and they hadn't, and, but today we have a lot of Christians who are panicked and stressed and anxious that because Christ isn't coming back fast enough. And the same principles that Paul wrote to this, this group of believers, the same applies to us. So in preparation for Christ's return, this is how we should live. This is how we should think. This is how we should process things. And so the application still applies to us today. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you are with us and you don't have a Bible, you want to kind of sit along with us uh, in the back of the room. There's two tables. There's Bibles on each of those tables. You can take one. If you don't have a Bible, it's yours. We want you to uh, read God's Word. Now, I'm going to have the Scripture um, underneath, you know, in the lower thirds, uh, for those who are watching online, or I'm going to unpack verses on the TV. But I want you to see for yourself what God's Word says. So you can, if you have your own, you can highlight it, underline, circle words, and all, all of that. Paul is giving clear instructions of how to prepare. So I'm going to read, sometimes we go through one verse on a Sunday and unpack it. I'm going to read lots of verses. And I'll explain why. So join me in really another theme that's in every chapter but chapter 1, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. The same theme, Paul comes back time and time again. Join me in chapter 2, verse 12. Paul said in verse 11, I came as a, like a father. And he says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives Worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's what Paul's doing. Chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he, Jesus, strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when, here's a hint, when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy wants. Chapter 4, verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. More and more. Down to verse, verse 9. Now, about the love for one another, we did not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family 
throughout Macedonia yet. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Turn to chapter 5, verse 4. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness, so that this day, talking about the day, one part about the return of Christ, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You were all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, put in our faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You see, Paul was giving instructions of how to prepare, and he's kind of saying the same thing, but four different ways. As parents, you got to say the same things over and over to your kids. And if you have more than one kid, you got to say the same thing in different ways because people hear things differently. But Paul is saying the same thing. It's, it's a, your central point today if you're taking notes. Paul's basically saying this. Live for Jesus today as if you would see Jesus tomorrow. Live for Jesus today as if you will see Jesus tomorrow. How would you act how, what things would change in your life if you knew that Jesus would return tomorrow and you'd be face-to-face with him? I, I think we'd make some changes on uh, what we're, we're stressed about, what we watch, what comes out of our mouth, et cetera, et cetera. Now, let me ask you this question. How, have you ever been surprised and then embarrassed when someone shows up that you didn't expect? Like someone just shows up at your house and your house is a mess, Right? You're surprised to see them, and you're like, uh, can we just stay outside and talk, right? You're surprised and then embarrassed because someone shows up that you didn't expect. Now, as a teenager in the, in the 70s and early 80s, I, um, my family, Bonnie, Barry, Betty, Pick, and Bobby, and then a little bit later, Brindy and Bradley came along, and uh, my parents were, were, were hard workers, and we didn't have a lot of money, and we didn't really watch a lot of TV, um, except every Sunday when the Niners were on. Uh, maybe this Giants were playing baseball. Um, but, but, but there were some, like, you know, there were some shows that, that we would watch. And, and my parents, though, made, made it very clear there are certain shows that we were not to watch. And one of them was Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels. Anybody remember Charlie's Angels? Okay. Bait myself. Some of you don't Google it while I'm teaching. Um, but... They said, don't watch that one, a couple other ones. But on Wednesday nights, when Charlie's Angels was on, my mom had choir practice at church for like two hours. And being a teenager, I'm like, oh, man, Farrah Fawcett's hot. You know, he's like, come on, you know. And, and, um, and so my mom goes off to choir practice, and, and we, would, we would watch it, and, and then we know when she was coming home, and we, we'd turn the channel, or turn it off, you know. And, and if you're like Gen Z or millennial, um, the, back then the TVs did not have a remote control. You actually had to get 
This is, uh, this is the dark ages. You had to get up out of your chair, walk across the room to turn the volume up or down, and then the channels, they had to click, 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 click. And we had like eight channels. Some of you are like, how did you ever live and survive, right? That's what happened. But one night, one Wednesday night, watching Charlie's Angels. And as a young teenager, I'm like, oh man, this is like heaven. And then all of a sudden I felt a presence <laughs> kind of show up to the right. And then immediately I thought, why didn't someone invent a remote control in the 70s? And there's my mom. You know, of course, all of us teenagers were blaming each other. It wasn't me. Bonnie wanted to watch it. I wasn't really paying attention. Yet my mom shows up when Farrah Fawcett's in a, like, two-piece, really small bikini. And my mom's going, didn't we tell you? You know, oh, I forgot, you know, and stuff. That happened several times. <laughs> when my mom would surprise us, and then we're embarrassed. And, of course, she always showed up in the worst possible time. And there we are, surprised and embarrassed, because we didn't expect her to come, and she got off of choir practice early, which that should be wrong, all right? <laughs> what would you do if Jesus showed up today, tomorrow? Would you be surprised? Would you be embarrassed? Are you prepared for Christ's return? Now, Paul, again, four different ways of saying, live for Jesus today as if you see Jesus tomorrow. Now he says it again, four different ways of saying the same thing. If you're taking notes, the first way he said this is live worthy of his name. Live worthy of his name. Chapter two, uh, <coughs> he says this in verse 12. He says, I'm trying to urge you and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Worthy of God, not, not be worthy like God, but you're representing Jesus. So live your lives worthy. Now, the New Testament, if you're new to Bible study, was written in the Greek language. And, and God had that because the Greek language is so descriptive. It's like a kaleidoscope of information of not just what the word means. It even gives pictures and examples in the Greek culture of what it means because God wants us to really understand what he's talking about. So when Paul wrote in the Greek the word worthy, what it literally means is suitable. Is suitable means it fits who you are and who you are representing. That you're not just representing yourself, you're representing something greater, something bigger. That would be God, other than yourselves, and it needs to be live in such a way that it's suitable. You fit that representation. Now, coaching, I retired after COVID of basketball in town, but a couple years ago, I'm at Ole coaching, and during halftime, when it was my turn to, to, to share as the assistant coach, I, I said, hey, girls, the other team is acting this way toward the refs, and you are starting to act like the other team. Knock it off. This is not who we are. We're Ole. We play this way. We treat the referees that way. That's the meaning of the word Worthy. 
Live your lives in a way that you represent because you're representing someone bigger and greater than yourselves. The same thing applies if you're a part of the armed forces. There is an expectation, some of it written, some of it unwritten, that this is how you are to conduct yourself because you represent something bigger and greater than yourselves. And if you don't, there's a thing called a you know, discharge. Or they kick you out or they suspend you or it marks you down or you drop rank. This week, there has been a flare-up at the Olympic trials. Maybe you saw this with the hammer event for the ladies. And the gold medalist and the silver medalist were on the stage, hand over, uh, hand over their heart, during the national anthem. And the bronze medalist have, has an issue with the flag and with our national anthem. And she's turned away from the crowd. And she's so irritated. And she puts a, 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 an activist t-shirt over her head. She's communicating without saying one word how much she is disliking what's going on. And across our land, people are going, you have no business going to Tokyo in a few weeks to represent us. It, it, this, is the, this is the picture that, that Paul is saying. I'm urging you, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, live today as if you see Jesus tomorrow, but live today worthy of the name that you are representing. Paul unpacks this even more, more descriptive in chapter 3. He's saying, so that, live this way, so that you will be blameless, not sinless. I'll explain what that means. Live blameless and holy. That means set apart, distinct, different in the presence of God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes. When Jesus comes back, he wants you to live worthy of his name and, and, and blameless, that, that word blameless is an interesting word. It's an, kind of a legal word. It's like, so you're not, you're not guilty of being censored. We see, sometimes we hear that in D.C., like, oh, you said that, and you acted that way, and you are not acting becoming of a representative in the House of Representatives or a senator, so we're going to censor you. What censor means literally means this, severe disapproval. Severe disapproval. That your actions... What you said, what you did, we're going to censor you. Paul is saying, act in such a way worthy of his name that you're blameless. Now, what I find interesting is I kind of illustrate what, what this word means. Is we live in a culture that, you know what, you can just live however you want to live. Do what you ever want to do. It's nobody's business. You can just, you do you. And it doesn't matter. You can do, say, live, whatever. Make any choice that you want. But in a culture that has that, that we are living that, many professional contracts have a moral clause in the contract that says if you act a certain way, if you do this, if you bring ill repute to our corporation, our company, our whatever, we can kick you out. We cannot pay you. We cannot, you know, we, we can ban you. And in 2016... At the Olympics in Brazil, Ryan Lotke got in trouble. Ryan Lotke is the, the second most decorated Olympic swimmer in history. Who's number one? Michael Phelps. I mean, there's, there's Michael and there's everybody else. 
Ryan is number two, not just on American records, worldwide, the number two most decorated swimmer in the Olympic history. And in 2016, um, uh, during a night, something happened, and then he came out, Ryan came out with some other, other Olympians that said, we were robbed at gunpoint by someone wearing a Brazilian police badge. And immediately the police in Brazil, they looked horrible. Like, how can you treat Olympians this way? But then the truth came out. The truth came out that Ryan and a group of people went out at night. They got drunk. They got slammed. They pulled over at a gas station because they had to use the restroom. They didn't go inside. They, they went outside. Confronted by a security on guard. They harassed the guy, and then they destroyed property. And when the truth came out, the United States Olympic Committee immediately suspended Ryan and others. Because you disrespected what you are to represent. We sense, basically, they censored him. Severe disappointment, disapproval of your actions because you represent something bigger and greater than yourselves. As a result, Ryan Lofke lost $10 million of sponsorship money. Because other companies that said, Ryan is going to represent our organization, our corporation. We're going to pay Ryan. They canceled his sponsorship because of his actions. That's what the word blameless means. So Paul is saying, live worthy of the name of Christ. He's not saying live perfect, but live worthy. That you represent well someone greater than yourself. And, and Paul didn't say be sinless. No, we're all sinners. But to be blameless. Don't do something, say something, you know, some choice that you made that you need to be censored. Live worthy. Live worthy. Live worthy. Live for Jesus today as if you, you would see Jesus tomorrow. We would act totally different. The second area that Paul says the same thing is to live a life that stands out. Live a life that stands out. Uh, in chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, We instructed you how to live in order to please God. It goes on to say, Now we ask you and urge you more in the Lord to do this more and more and more and more. Now, interesting word for urge. That's a, a, a Greek word that was like friend-to-friend conversation. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to strongly urge you. That's a friend of friend. There's other Greek words that would imply a superior talking to underlings. And if anybody was superior, it's Apostle Paul. He had the cred. He had the education. He was used by God. But he chose to, in verse 1, say, hey, friend of friend, live this way more and more and more and more. What way? To please God. And that word, please God, means to make him proud. It's just not to obey. It's to obey in such a way that stands out, to make you proud, make someone proud. And in, in the Greek, it gives a kind of a picture, and in, in the research, that was a word used when little towns and villages would honor someone special in their village or town that did something that stood out, that said, now look at, look what she did, look what he did. And, the, and that word, please, that, that would mean, I'm proud of you, so we're, because we're proud of you, we're going to put your name on a plaque and put your plaque on your own statue. 
That's the meaning behind this word. That you stand out so much that we're going to honor you because we're so proud. That you represented our village. You represented our little town by your actions. So do you stand out at all? I'm not saying, you know, be an extrovert, like I'm an introvert, I don't want to stand out. No, no, no. By your attitude, by your language, by your choices, do you, do you, are you different than other people in maybe the extended family? If you're a follower of Christ and, they're, and, and everyone's, you're just like anybody else in your family or anybody else in your neighborhood or anybody else on your boat or anybody else in your office and, and, and you say the same, you, use the, you laugh at the same jokes, you use the same language, you, you do the same things, you go out to sea and you do the same things when you're far from home and, and you're like, you know, this, this is what we do. Or do you go, no, or I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to be involved in that. That will make you stand out. Now, a lot of times we can stand out with ridicule. But that's what this word means. I want you to live to please the Lord so much that you stand out. That, that God is like, I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of my boy right there. When my youngest daughter uh, played um, basketball at Central Kitsap High School, transferred her junior year. And so she was surrounded by a bunch of athletes that she became passionate for and cared for and prayed for and and her whole, her whole idea of Christianity and, and church and having one of her friends to come to youth group and, and, the, and the church service changed because she stood out. Now, she was very competitive, and she did get a technical by fouling someone so hard they went flying into the bleachers. Like, um, that's, and that's, that's, that was too hard. She's not perfect, but she, she stood out, and she was praying for these girls and all that. And in her senior year, they're on a away trip. JV team is playing. Varsity girls, pretty much all of a sudden, they surrounded her in the, in the bleachers, and they started asking her spiritual questions. And one of the first things that triggered the conversation is one of the girls said this. That this girl's been over our house. We love this girl. She loved Kaylee. And she, and she goes, Kaylee, Seriously. I have yet to hear you say one swear word. Do you not swear because your dad's a pastor? She's like, no. That stood out. And that led into a conversation. Came home. Well, we, we, we were at the game, but on the way home, she, uh, when she got home, she was like, you're not going to believe. That's how it started the conversation. And it led to her sharing how someone accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That opened the door. You're like, oh, that's something really small. She doesn't swear. But it stood out. And in our culture today, one of the best testimonies you could have is just clean this up. I'm not going to laugh at what everybody laughs at. I'm not going to do what everybody does. That's what Paul is saying. Live for Jesus today in such a way that stands out. You stand out. You may get ridiculed and stuff. And she, and she did. But, but the, as they got to know her and she earned the right to be heard... They heard what she really believed. And they knew that Kaylee loved them. Stand out. Live for Jesus today as if you would see Jesus tomorrow. Well, I wonder what would change. Now, the, the last and uh, the third thing that Paul is saying is that live a life that wins respect. Live a life that wins respect. 
Now in, in verse or chapter 4, verse 12, it said this. Live in such a way so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, let me explain. This word dependent, this whole phrase here, doesn't mean you're just, I, I don't need anybody. You're self-sufficient. That's not what it means. This word so that you're not dependent upon anybody, what it actually means is take personal responsibility for your choices. Live your life in such a way that you're not pointing the fingers, or I can't do this because of that person, that person. And our, our whole society is just filled with finger pointing and blame and victimhood and all that sort of stuff. And he said, no, 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 live your life in such a way that you're not dependent upon, well, I, I, I would change if I lived in a different environment or if my parents were different or my friends or my boss, whatever. Live in such a way that you would win the respect of people by taking personal responsibility for your life. Now, this passage in chapter 4 brings back a, a kind of an embarrassing but a learning memory in my life. When I was in Southern California at a very, very large church, um, I, I, was, I was really irritated at the senior pastor. I mean, I was ticked. My high school ministry has, was just growing leaps and bounds, and I never heard one encouraging word from the senior pastor. Um, and all I kind of picked up was I'm not good enough and I wasn't doing it the way he wanted to do it, even though it was just skyrocketing. And we were at a camp in Southern California, all the senior staff, pastors and directors and their spouse and all the elders and their spouse. So it was about 75, large, large gathering, 75 at this camp. And on one of the morning sessions, the senior pastor's up front, and he's going through chapter 3, setting up for a, a communion time. And I'm like, I'm ticked at him. He doesn't like me, doesn't respect me, doesn't encourage me, look at my ministry. And I'm like, this inside. So as he's reading, I'm like, I don't want to listen to him. I'm not all do. I'll just keep reading God's word. I had an attitude. So I kept reading through chapter 3, getting to chapter 4. And then when I get to this part of, of chapter 4, God confronted me. And he hit the spot. Now, when I say God confronted me, God talked to me. It wasn't audible. Here's how I know. It was in from God's word. And I knew I wouldn't have said that to myself. And I definitely knew Satan wouldn't tell me to do that. I'll tell you what God told me after I back up one verse to verse 11 that really triggered that confrontation. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That doesn't mean less talking, lower volume. Quiet means restfulness, a lack of anxiety and worry, angst, a lack of it, restful. So I hear I'm in, I'm ticked off pastor and get to this part and I'm like, I'm not leading that. I am just, I'm messed up. I'm angry. I'm just, I can't, I'm, I'm just ticked off. 
then God says, and just mind your own business. We, we have a culture, <clears throat> excuse me, a culture today that wants to get into everybody's business. Parents telling other parents how to parent, you know, par- uh, kids telling other kids how to do this. Pull, you know, you need to think this and vote this. And that. Everyone's, everyone's in everyone's business. Do you agree with that? And, and God's word is like, could you just stay in your own lane and mind your own business? And then work with your hands. Here's what God told me. And I'm all like this inside. God was like, Barry, just shut up and do your job. You serve me, not him. That was from the passage. And God was right. And my mind had to change. My heart had to change. My attitude had to change. And that was a pivotal part of me just doing what God had called me to do and not trying to win the approval of that guy. And it changed. Now, the whole time I was there, I never got an encouragement. I never got an attaboy. But my heart changed, and God used this. Verse 12, did this, verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And you will not be dependent. You'll just take personal responsibility for your life. I had no idea. I left to come here in 2005. I did not realize how much I was respected and appreciated there. I did not know. God blocked that from me. But I just did what God called me to do. That's what he's saying here. Just live for Jesus. That's who I'm living for. I'm not living for anybody else. Live for Jesus today as if you'll see Jesus tomorrow. And live in such a way that wins respect. The last part uh, that, that Paul is saying here is this. Is live like, live like you belong to the day. Live like you belong to the day. Chapter 5, let me explain what he's saying. He's saying, if you're a follower of Christ, he goes, you are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong in the night or, or to the darkness. I don't know about you, but have you noticed our culture getting darker and darker and more evil and more evil? Anybody have noticed that? And he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus... You belong to the day, verse, verse 8 says. You're children of the day. You don't belong to be children of the night and of the darkness. So act like it. Live like it. Think like it. Make choices like it. Live for Jesus today as if Jesus was come, would, would, would show up tomorrow, you'd see him tomorrow, because he is the king of light, the king of day, and when his day comes, he's going to make all wrongs right. So live like children of the day because you belong to the day. And in this passage, he gives, he gives two examples of saying not, not be asleep because most people sleep at night, not be drunk because most people get drunk at night. He's not talking about, talking about physical sleep or alcohol, but he's using a metaphor. And he says not that way because that's what happens for everybody else. But if you're a child of God, the metaphor is switched to be, be, be awake. Open your eyes. Jesus is coming back. There's a bigger picture. There's a sovereign plan at work. We could get so focused on, on today and tomorrow, and I got to do this, and I want this, and I'll be consumed by that. It's like, wake up. Wake up. Lift up your eyes. The Lord's coming back. And then be sober. 
That's the opposite of when you're controlled and consumed by alcohol. Other things can control us and consume us, and we need to be sober, like slap our faces, go not be drunk and consumed and controlled by other things. Some of you are controlled and consumed by all the stress at your work. It's killing you. Now, is there stress at your work? Yes. The schedule they give, the people that you have to work with, God has assigned you there. So act like it. Wake up. Some of you are controlled and consumed by all I got to do is make money. All I got to do is make money. You know what? Everything you buy is eventually going to burn or break. There's... There's more beyond this life. A lot of you are consumed and controlled by the news. Do I get one amen for that? And you wonder why you're depressed. Like, I'm just kind of depressed. Yeah, because you watch the news. I just read headlines. Yeah, they're, they're playing games in Washington, D.C. That helps me. Oh, something's going on in Israel. Okay. But you're like... you're. You're like in a stupor of depression because of news. But some of you are consumed and controlled by the pursuit of comfort in life. If you heard last week, we talked about preparing for Christ's return. That means preparing for turbulence. The closer we get to Jesus coming back, the more bumpy it's going to be. Buckle up. So Paul's saying four different ways, four different angles. Live for Jesus today. As if you would see Jesus tomorrow. Live worthy of the name of Christ if you're a father that you represent. Live a life that stands out, that Jesus is proud of. Live a life that, that, that helps you win respect when you're getting disrespect or you're being ignored. And live your life. If you're a child of God, you belong to the day. So stop acting like the night. Child of the night. Live today as if you would see Jesus, or, or live for Jesus today as if you would see Jesus tomorrow. As you pray with me, God, boy, this, this theme in First Thessalonians that Paul wrote about is so practical. We are so distracted, we're so consumed and controlled by so many things that are not from you, they're not really that important. Lord, help us. We're human. We struggle. We fail. God, thank you for loving us. Lord, help us to make you proud by how we live, how we respond, how we talk, the choices we make. Lord, help us live for you today as if we would see you tomorrow. Help us as we continue walking through this, this, this small little book that is powerful and practical. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. We say amen. If you are our guest today, we have, a, uh, we have a gift for you at guest services. Please swing by there. We love to give you that. We also have discussion questions on the screen for the, those in the room or watching at home. May God bless you. Begin this, continue this next Sunday. Have a great week.